Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, mi- like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopot- Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya. Remain belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own lang- in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others mocking said, "They are filled with new wine." But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thanks, Maggie. Evening. Lots of new faces I haven't seen before. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is, if this is your first time to uh, this particular church, welcome to City Light North Adelaide. Thank you, Helen, so much for sharing your testimony. I'm, um, she, Helen's in my DG. Um, I'm constantly amazed by the, the grace that God has for all of us, but also the transformation that God has had in her life as well. It's, it's, really, it's really an amazing thing to see. Um, if you're, this is your first week here, we are in a series called Unstoppable. This is week three, um, and, it's, and we call it Unstoppable because uh, we're looking through the Acts, and it talks about how God uses the church to change the world. Um, and if this is your first time here, we normally go through, uh, sometimes we go through topical series, which is essentially going through like a question or a topic, but we also go through um, books of the Bible, line by line, precept by precept, because we know that the Bible is God's word, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and, and training in righteousness. And so you would have heard from today our scripture reading that we are talking a lot about this thing called the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Anyone heard of the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. 
Okay, okay we've got a few people who know what the Holy Spirit is. That's, that, that's a good start, good start. Um, we've noted uh, previously sometimes that uh, the book of Acts is known as the book of the apostles because uh, of what the apostles did after seeing Jesus being raised from the dead and then ascend to heaven. But the book of Acts is also known as the uh, as known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And today's reading really underpins why there's certainly a case for that particular title. Um, but before we get into the text today and start looking at it, I want to just address something really quickly. For some of us, we might have this kind of, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is because uh, we, we live in a rapidly secularizing humanistic society and this idea of a spirit is, is pretty jarring. Like, I don't know, did anyone have kids trick-or-treating this week for Halloween? No? No, no trick-or-treating? Okay, maybe it was just me then. Um, I've noticed that it's def- it was definitely all over the news, I can tell you that. Um, I, I've noticed in the last few years that this, this Irish tradition that's been popularised by American culture is getting a lot more traction in Australia, and it's, it, it's, it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine to say that most Australians probably relegate the idea of a spirit to uh, supernatural reality or hocus-pocus or mysticism or Harry Potter uh, or movies or something of that, of that kind. But despite that, um, despite our rapidly secularizing society, you also have uh, a lot of people who are also growing in this idea of like not religious but spiritual. Um, it doesn't matter how much uh, New Age spirituality gets ridiculed, people are still interested in it. Or perhaps you come, if you're a Christian, maybe you've come from a more charismatic background, and when you heard about, we were reading like Acts 2, you got really amped up, and you want to run laps around the church, and wave your, ba- your dove banner around, that's, that's okay, you can still hold that, that's cool, that's cool. we still love you. Uh, and also, but also, you might have come from a church that perhaps you know what the Holy Spirit is, but he's kind of like the weird cousin you don't really talk about. We know about him, but he's just kind of lofty. He kind of sits there in the corner a little bit, but we don't really acknowledge him too much. We know he's there, but we don't talk about him much. But no matter who you are, no matter who you are, my hope and prayer for you tonight is that you may not, not only grow in your knowledge of God and his Spirit, but you may grow in your yearning for an intimacy with the Spirit, and to grow in your gospel boldness and confidence that is empowered by His Spirit. So before we do that, let's pray and see what God has for us. Eh? Heavenly Father, just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word, that we, that is how we get to know who you are. Um, I thank you for your Spirit, that, um, that your Spirit is living and active and in the world, uh, working uh, here uh, and also in our lives. I pray that uh, as we look at your word tonight, that you speak, not me, I pray that people don't hear what I just, just say, but hear what you have to say, Lord Father. Uh, I pray that you uh, calm my nerves and let your spirit speak, Lord Father. We need you, we need you to move tonight. And I pray that your presence be known uh, and manifest in our lives uh, from here and onwards towards glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So where are we in the narrative of Acts? Um, this, as I said, we're week three of, uh, of our Acts series, and in week one, Simon talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit and the ascension of Christ. Um, well, Jesus had come, if you don't really know where Acts is in, is in the Bible, uh, Jesus has essentially just risen from the, from the grave, and he spent 40 days with his disciples. He spoke to them, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, and then he ascends into heaven. But before he does that, he promises them that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And with that happening, they would be then his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Last week, Tyler talked about um, the establishing of the 12 apostles because they needed to replace Judas because the 12 apostles was, was the means upon which God was going to build his church. And that brings us to week three, the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you are a note taker, um, we have three points for today, nice, nice and three, uh, nice easy three points. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit's power is gloriously displayed in his coming. Uh, second point is the coming of the Holy Spirit has empowered our mission to reach all people. And the third point is the coming of the Spirit gives us assurance in, the unstoppable, uh, in God's unstoppable plan of redemption. I'll go through that again. The, Holy, the first one is the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit's power is gloriously displayed in his coming. The coming of the Spirit has empowered our mission to reach all people. And thirdly, the coming of the Spirit gives us assurance in the, God's unstoppable plan of redemption. Now, before we, again, another caveat, just before we go into Acts 2, I need to address something about Acts and how we even read the Bible. Um, uh, Simon, covered in the, Simon covered in the first week of Acts that uh, Acts is written by a guy named Luke, um, and, uh, and this Luke is the same writer as the Gospel of Luke. In fact, we know that Luke is actually a, part, a two-part series. Um, Luke and Acts are the same two volumes of the same series, the sequel and a prequel. And if you read the opening lines of Luke, it says this in Luke 1, 3 to 4. It says this, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, that most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So if Luke is writing, if Luke is writing uh, these volumes to confirm the teaching of the gospel in this gospel of Luke, Acts was written as an encouragement demonstrating the impact the gospel had on the church. Again, the sequel and the, pre- the prequel and the sequel. And that's how we should primarily read Acts, to know and be encouraged by the fact that the God of the early church is the same God of today. When reading any sort of narrative text like in Acts, however, it is very easy to be acquainted with the details. So let's start from just verse 1 here. Verse 1. When the, the day of Pentecost arrived, let's just stop there for a second. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Luke's really setting the scene here. Right? If you have a church background, you might know what this event, or, uh, uh, this, uh, this, his history, this historical event was called Pentecost. But Pentecost was not just essentially the, the Spirit coming down, descending on the disciples. But Pentecost is actually the, fifth, uh, uh, the, uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, 50 days after the Passover. And in, this is actually an important detail, and we'll return back to it later, because um, in, this part, in this festival, essentially, Jews from all over the ancient world came over to Jerusalem and made pilgrimage but what I really want to do after now setting the scene is go refocus in our first point here in between verses 2 and 4. Luke wants us to notice, I reckon, three things when the Holy Spirit comes with glorious, powerful display. Firstly, in verse 2 it says this, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Luke wants us to really know, notice the powerful, volitional, purely volitional nature of the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, we know as Christians that the, the Spirit of God is omnipresent, absolutely. But the text doesn't say that the, the disciples did anything to command the Spirit to manifest this way. In fact, how did the Spirit manifest? Suddenly. The Spirit manifested suddenly. The suddenness of the Spirit shows that he is God because he has the power to be purely volitional. He does what he wants. The disciples were waiting on God's timing. They could do nothing to command God to hurry up or slow down. They had to wait on God because God does what he wants to do. But the Spirit's power is also emphasized in this case, by the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And you might think, like, that's just a small detail. Don't, don't, don't have to think about, too much about that. But, but imagine, imagine this for a second. Imagine the disciples in the upper room. And compare yourself to this. How scared are we when we're at home at night and we just hear just something slightly move? Or perhaps on Thursday night when it was really windy and raining with the thunder in the distance. Um, how, how, how much... How, Small do we feel when we hear the wind move and the wind shake our windows as if they were going to break? How much more would you think that the disciples felt when just sitting in the room, presumably waiting and probably praying, that they suddenly hear the sound of a loud, of a loud gushing wind and they feel the presence of the Spirit touch everyone, filling the room? This scene really sets the tone as to the kind of unstoppable things that God is going to do in and through them when, whenever and wherever he chooses to. Luke wants us to see here the powerful and volitional nature of God. But what else does Luke want us, us to see? Luke, in verse 3, it says this, "...and divided tongues as of a fire." appeared to them, and rested on each of them. Luke wants us to notice here the individual indwelling of the Spirit. Luke describes here the Holy Spirit dividing up and resting up upon them. And it's just not just the 12 disciples, but presumably all the followers of Christ in the room, all 120 of them. And when you think about this, if you had had power and you wanted to give it to someone, you would just limit it to a few people, right? This flies in the face of all human thinking. We think that such power should, could only be given to the best of the best, or the leaders, or the top dogs, or, people, or the people with the creme de la creme. But no, it wasn't just for the elite OG, started from the bottom, now we hear Christians, but for all of them. The Spirit individually dwelled within all of them. And the third thing I think Luke wants us to see, us to see here is found in verse 4. It says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What I think Luke wants, to see, uh, wants us to notice here in verse 4 is the enabling and empower, empowerment given by the Spirit. The Spirit didn't just come upon them. They were filled with the Spirit. And to be filled here means to have the power of the, of the Holy Spirit manifest in their lives. The crazy thing here is that in this instance, the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak another language. But also the Spirit gave them utterance. They, the disciples could not help but talk about, the, um, talk about what the Spirit compelled them to talk about, which was the mighty works of God. 
If you have some awareness of Scripture, however, though, especially in the Old Testament, you might be thinking, well, where was the Holy Spirit beforehand? Didn't you say that God's Spirit is omnipresent? How, how do people in the Old Testament believe in, in God without the Holy Spirit? And yes, absolutely, God's Holy Spirit was at work in the world before the disciples. Jesus was baptised with the Spirit. The Spirit hovered over the waters in creation. The Spirit, did not come, the Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament to empower them to do specific tasks. But here at Pentecost, for the first time, the Spirit just not, does not just come upon the believers, but dwells in them. Some preachers and churches would say that at this point in time, uh, at, at this point in time of reading the text, they would say, if you're in Christ and the Spirit lives in you, therefore you must get the gift of tongues, right? And this can be true. I don't want to undersell the point that when we are endowed the Spirit, the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, and for some people, that is tongues. And here at City Light, we, we call ourselves reformed in our understanding of God's, of God's salvation, but we also call ourselves charismatic in the sense that we need and depend on the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. We cannot live without the Holy Spirit. But you'll see people pull this text and say that you get the gift of tongues when you get baptized, right? But I would argue from the whole canon of Scripture, just because you don't have the gift of tongues or whether it be a worldly language or a personal prayer language, it doesn't mean that you don't have the Spirit living within you if you're a Christian. But this is not the point of the text. This is not the point of the text. What is Luke trying to tell us here in, in Acts? The point that author Luke here is trying to labour is the fact that not, we're not merely... The, no, sorry. Is the fact that... Uh, not the mere fact that the apostles were now able to speak a new language, but what was he trying to say? Luke is trying to point out here and showcase and highlight that they had received ridiculously unstoppable power from the Holy Spirit. Stop and wonder, how ridiculous is this? Do you know how long it takes to learn a language? Who, who speaks more than one language here? A few people. Hand, handful of people, congratulations, you guys are doing way more than me, way better than I am. So it, I, I looked at the stats, and supposedly um, the, the, US, the US Foreign Service Institute reckons that it takes about 720 hours to learn Chinese at a basic fluency, at about 10 hours a day. That's just under three months. I'm, I'm, I'm Australian, but my parents are Vietnamese. Like, I can't even, I went to Vietnamese school years and years and years and years, and I still can't have a hold of conversation with my parents properly, let alone read or write. So much dishonor to my family, man. <laughs> the closest thing I can think of about the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit in this sense is like the Matrix when Neo gets, like, he's downloading a program into his brain, and he tells Morpheus that he can fight Kung Fu. But books is, but Acts is no work of science fiction. It's reality. The Spirit is real. And there is no Spirit like the Holy Ghost. There is no God like Yahweh. All human effort and spiritual and no spiritual force can take all of that can take a seat when compared to God. No one can match our God. The Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful, is unrestrainable, is uncontainable, is insuppressible, is unstoppable. When we recognize how unstoppable the power of the Holy Spirit is, how much more encouraging is it to know that the same Spirit of God that came upon the disciples 
dwells within you. The same powerful spirit that dwelled upon the disciples dwells in you. And it doesn't just dwell in you. God, in his own timing, can choose to pour out his spirit and fill you up to experience his remarkable, remarkable divine power. And that should, that should make us feel so encouraged to go out in our lives and live in, and live in empowerment by the Spirit. But I must warn you, though, I must warn you, though, this is where things can get a little tricky for us. Because we think that we can just cure the Spirit and tell it to move when, we've, when we tell it to. Oh, it dwells in me, therefore I must be successful all the time, right? But like the apostles, we cannot command the Spirit to do what we want to do. As I said earlier, God, the Holy Spirit, is purely volitional and will move in us and through us if and when he wants to. John 3, 8 says this, says this. Jesus tells us that the Spirit moves like the wind. It goes wherever it wants and saves whoever it wants to save. We cannot command the Spirit what to do. But you know what we can do? We can sure as heck wait on the Lord and pray I plead with him to move and move mightily. We can pray fervently for effectiveness in ministering to people. We cannot merely ask, but we must beg for hearts and minds to be changed by the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit. We can, recon- we, we can recognize our desperate need and total dependence on the Holy Spirit and his power because apart from him, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We can and need to yearn for God to pour out his spirit on us in the same kind of power that was poured out on the disciples in that upper room 2,000 years ago. Irrespective of whether it be a particular spiritual gift like tongues or for sheer power for ministerial effectiveness and fruitfulness, what we need to do is pray for God to move in the lives for the sake of mission. Mission to our friends, mission to our family, mission to our neighbours, our colleagues, our city, our country, to the nations. If the church has any shot of doing this, we need to depend deeply on the divine power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit so much. That leads me on to my second point, that the coming of the Spirit has empowered our mission to reach all people. It, is, it was an act of divine providence that the Spirit came upon the disciples of, of, of Pentecost. And I say this because Pentecost, as we said earlier, meant that Jews from all of the ancient world came and made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Let's read through uh, verses 9 to 11 again. Uh, actually, 8 to 11. How is it that we here, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Luke lists out a whole bunch of nations in the ancient world because God used the Feast of Pentecost to bring, these, bring the world to the disciples. Um, 
when Jesus commanded his disciples to wait for the Spirit to be upon them and then be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Here we see in Acts, God provided the, op- the opportunity for the apostles at Pentecost to reach the nations without even to, having to leave their couches. God uses both the Spirit and his providential timing to make a people for himself at Pentecost. In fact, this isn't the text, but scholars have long argued that when the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost with new creation and new covenant, the coming of the Holy Spirit is the the, the signaling of the beginnings of the reverse of the curse at Babel. And it's interesting that God doesn't get rid of languages altogether. When you think about it, Babel was when God was like, nah, you guys are rebelling against me. I'm going to split you up and mix up your languages. You would have thought, like, well, if God wanted to reverse that, he would have just made them all one language, right? But God doesn't get rid of languages. In fact, God redeems languages. He actually keeps the beauty of the diversity of language and ethnicity and culture. But in that, God desires and makes it possible for people to be saved while preserving the diversity and the beauty of culture. In fact, Scripture is clear that in the end of days, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented and that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. And how did God plan to achieve this? Through the apostles, through Jewish apostles. And before you go thinking that like the apostles were a great kingdom hustlers, let me remind yourself, let me remind you who they were. In verse seven, the Jews were saying, "Are these not? Are these who are speaking Galileans?" What do we know about the apostles here? The apostles, yes, they were Jesus' entrusted men, the men that were chosen to lead the church and take charge of the gospel to all four corners of the earth. But what they were they? They were average Joes. They were commoners. Nothing special about them. A couple of fishermen, a tax collector. Super ornery people. No pedigree. Unnoted men. <coughs> but some people recognized something was different about these commoners. That something extraordinary must have happened to them because these commoners don't, commoners don't speak perfect Phrygian dialect. And so when we hear this, we should see example, the, the examples we see at Pentecost should encourage us because God is serious about saving people from all nations. He was serious about reaching all people groups before this. And he's the same God, to, uh, the, the same God of Pentecost is the, uh, the God of Pentecost is the same God as today. And luckily for us, ironically, the, uh, ironically, like the apostles at Pentecost, we don't need to travel that far to reach people who are ethnically different from us. We might only need to look across the desk from at work to see that particular person. I should note that so far we've been talking about recognizing the, the, the events of Pentecost and how that should impact us and encourage us and, and uh, in our confidence and the spirit working within us, but... Well, I don't think we've really talked about length in, in particular uh, here, but also in the wider church, is how the gospel is inherently designed to build out 
build up and send out a multinational, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual people of God. And it's super clear from Scripture that this is what God wants. And we know this intellectually as a church here at City Light. We know that we've been called to make disciples of all nations. The nations meaning that the gospel goes far and wide, but I look at the Spirit coming at Pentecost and wonder, both individually and corporately, how are we going when it comes to reaching those who are, have different skin from us? How, what is our natural disposition when it comes towards reaching those who look a little bit different or sound a bit different or eat things a bit differently? How much do we feel and give into the pool to share with only our friends at uni or colleagues at work who sound and look like us? You might think, like, yeah, Jesus might, Jesus, these people need Jesus too. And I'm like, yep, absolutely true. White people need Jesus too. Cool, cool, no, no doubt. Everyone needs Jesus. White people need Jesus too. But for some of us, if we take a good look hard at ourselves, we must ask the question, are we as zealous about sharing the gospel with people who are different from us than people that, were the same, that are similar to us? Because if I'm being totally transparent, I feel that pull. I feel that pull to being comfortable to just share and minister to people like me. I mean, not just racially, but culturally and socioeconomically. But guess what? That's the curse of Babel. That's human nature. That's my sinful proclivity. But the thrust of this text is quite clear. The Spirit gave them utterance, and they could not help but speak aloud of the mighty works of God, which naturally drew in crowds of multilingual Jews. And guess what? It wasn't, it wasn't the apostles that did this. It was the Spirit. The Spirit did all of this. The Spirit orchestrated all of this. The Spirit empowered all of this. But then how much do we even ask for ourselves? How much do we even ask the Spirit to help us with, reach, with reaching people who are different from us? If missional effectiveness is dependent on the pouring out of the Spirit on our lives, do we even ask for this? If missional effectiveness is dependent on the pouring out of the Spirit on our lives, do we even ask for this? And the thing is, when I say something like this in a Western church, especially in predominantly Anglo contexts, um, there's a bit of a pushback because we say, well, we're just trying to reach our local context, right? And great, I, yes and amen, reach the local context. My argument would be that our doorstep is possibly the most multicultural doorstep that exists in the world. The, gospel, the fact that you have a Vietnamese guy preaching to a predominantly white context, that should say something about that, right? The gospel has come to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth, quite literally. And I get it, multi-church, multi-ethnic church is hard, because, especially the church that goes beyond tokenism. I don't want to expound heaps on this particular point. I mean, I've already done so heaps of it already. But it's, and I reckon this will take away a little bit from upcoming so sermons. Sorry, guys, who are preaching in the future, but that's just, that would just deal with it. <laughs> um, but there's a reason why multiculturalism doesn't work super well in our secular society. 
I remember doing sociology at uni for my physio degree, and I remember reading sociologists argue that true multiculturalism is unattainable and lofty and a utopian idea. And I know this is difficult because as a Vietnamese kid growing up in Australia, that, that cultural difference is so hard to navigate. But guess what? The Great Commission demands that we go to all people. The gospel is for all people. All people need to hear about the mighty works of God because God is worthy of all glory, all praise, and all honor. And yes, sharing the gospel with people different from you is hard, but that's why we need the empowerment and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to to do his mission. How much more do we need the Spirit to do our mission to reach the nations? And if you think about it, if it weren't for the seriousness and the faithfulness of the apostles, who, by the way, were ethnic Jews from the Middle East, if it wasn't for their seriousness and faithfulness and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, you would not have had the rise of the church and the spread of Christianity to Rome and eventually Great Britain and eventually colonize Australia. Yes, the church needs to be multi-ethnic, not simply just for the, fa- just for the basis of being multi-ethnic, but because the gospel is for everyone. God is most glorified in this work of redemption in the world. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to take part in this part of the mission. What does it say to the world when, we look, when they look in at us, reaching out to those different and loving those who are different? Not because, and we don't do it because of our, in spite of our differences, but because of our differences uh, because our differences are, are no match for the unstoppable love of God. Our differences are no match for the unstoppable work of God through the Holy Spirit in us. My hope and prayer is that the outpouring of the Spirit happens to us. And my hope is that that happens right now even. I want people from the outside to look in here and see a people and be amazed and perplexed like in verse 12 and saying to each other, what does this mean? Because it will look different. It will look strange. People will look in and think like, you guys are all different. What's your common thing? You're such an eclectic mix of people. You guys shouldn't be together. Some might be, and we hope that most will be amazed, but it wouldn't surprise us that some might be cynical about it. And, that, and this happens in, in the text as well. We see in verse 13, if you go back, it says, But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. When the disciples were speaking in different languages, even though many were amazed and perplexed, there were some who were not responsive to the Spirit's power. And this should not surprise us. While we have the Spirit within us, and even if the power of the Spirit is really evident in our lives, there will always be people who do not believe. It happened with the disciples in the craziness of, the, of Pentecost. Why wouldn't it happen to us? And I say this mostly as an encouragement, because I know that we can feel really bummed and really sad when people mock us for our faith and don't believe, even if we feel like we've matured and we've grown heaps in our Christ-likeness. But know that a person's cynicism towards the Holy Spirit has no bearing on the work of the Holy Spirit. God will do what he needs to do. He's God. 
which leads me to my, my final point through here. The coming of the Spirit gives us assurance in God's unstoppable redemptive plan. Despite people mocking the disciples for speaking about the, the mighty works of God in other languages, again, it has no bearing on the insuppressible power of the Holy Spirit when it's poured out on his people. And in the text, what it says here in verse 15, that Peter addresses this, this particular cynicism. He says this, um, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. He tells them, these kids aren't drunk. No, one, no, one's, no one's drinking at nine in the morning. <laughs> what are you guys on? But rather, you know what Peter says to these people? What, you know what Peter says to these Jews? He quotes Joel 2, 8, uh, Joel 2, 28 to 32. He quotes the same scriptures that they knew. And it says this. Let's just read 17 to 18 here. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even my male servants and female servants, and in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter was not using this prophecy to, to say what we predicted has happened, but rather Peter was emphasizing to the Jews here the fact that Scripture was being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. He's telling them, this is happening right in front of you. Don't miss out on this. Importantly, it says here um, in verse 17, it says, in the last days it shall be. And again, I don't want to steal thunder from the next week as well because this is already going to a little bit of Peter's sermon. But the Jews were looking for a Messiah, as promised throughout the Old Testament. But when Peter quotes Joel 2 here, he's proving to the Jews, saying that, you know those last days mentioned in the Old Testament where the Messiah come? Yeah, you know those, that, that, that particular thing? Yeah, that's happening. That's happened, and that's happening right now. We see here that the Spirit is being poured out on all kinds of believers, Old, young, male and female, even those who are considered lowly in society, like servants and slaves. And most rabbis thought that the Spirit only worked through certain individuals in the Old Testament. But Peter here is saying that a new day has dawned, and the era of the Messianic age has begun, and that the Spirit will be upon all who claim the name of Christ, no matter who they are. And what this means for us is that it shows that God can be trusted at his word. God promised in the Old Testament to send a Messiah to save us from our sins. God promised to save a people for himself made up from all nations. God promised to redeem creation and bring about new heavens and new earths. And God has promised this throughout all of scripture. If you've been reading along and you, you fast forward a little bit as well, you might, have, you might have a keen eye here and might think, in verses 19 and 20, it doesn't seem like all of it's been fulfilled though. And this, so we'll read that and we'll address that. This is in the prophecy here. And I will show wonders on the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. You might be thinking, this sounds like apocalyptic imagery, Andrew. <laughs> and yes, that's an astute observation. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but you might be thinking, well, this, is, hasn't, this hasn't happened yet. Why, why is Peter adding this into the, in, into the text? It hasn't happened. Peter knows this when he's quoting Joel. 
I think the reason why Peter mentions this to the Jews is that to show that there is actually still time to trust God. God's promises are true, but there is still time. And he's telling them in verse 21, it says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's telling the Jews, he's telling the Jews that there is still time left to trust in the saving, soul-satisfying work of Jesus. We see through the fulfillment of the events of Pentecost that we have more reason to, to trust God. God's faithfulness and his, his track record is immaculate. We can have unwavering confidence and blessed assurance that God has brought about his purposes, is bringing his purposes, is currently bringing his purposes, and will continue to bring his purposes through his plan. And if you're not sure what to think about that today, if you're struggling to trust God at his word, if you don't trust God at his word, I ask that you see God here deliver on his promise. God has promised a saviour. He, he brought a saviour, a saviour that lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, who died the death that we deserve to die. He raised from the dead just as prophesied and he came back and God has promised that he will come back. But God is also, in Pentecost, we see God's promise here fulfilled in the coming of the Holy Spirit and we can trust him in that. God is calling you to trust him. I plead with you to, if you, if you don't know how to trust, ask. Ask him to help you. Not just so that you just get some ticket to heaven and that's it that you may experience, but I, I, I ask that you learn to trust him and seek to trust him because you will experience eternal unending joy by being united with Christ and by treasuring God for all your days. God is inviting you into that to trust him. And we have track record that we can trust him. For us Christians here, what do, we, what, what do we get out of Pentecost here? For us Christians, the last days for us, we need to know that these are the last days and we're, we're living in them right now. And what a privilege is it for us to, to be living the way God has asked us to. He's left in us not to our own devices, but rather God has given us a spirit to dwell in us and he has empowered us. If you're bored with your faith and you don't see much happening in terms of your faith right now, or if you don't desire God and you, or you don't desire growth and maturity, might I ask you to be both so bold to ask that God pour his spirit out on you in an Acts-like way. The God of Acts poured out his spirit on his disciples in crazy ways. And I ask that you, perhaps, no, no, I plead with you to diligently seek and ask that God give you the confidence to trust him and to pour out his spirit upon you in ways that you cannot imagine. Hope and pray that you do that and God surprise you with his unstoppable power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for who you are and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the power that is found in your spirit.
You move when you want to move. We trust in your timing. Help us, Father, to trust you. Help us. We need you so much because we cannot do the mission without you. The mission is so great. It is only by your spirit that we can reach the nations. We thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but you've given us power from on high. Help us to live in accordance with your will. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to love you and trust you more each day. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.